0: Is ego the enemy? Why do people in our lives trigger us so much? And can we ever truly find inner peace? Big questions that we're deep diving into today with Yana Fry, a heart-centered spiritual teacher and accredited life coach who's on a mission to demystify spirituality to make it a simple part of everyday life. It's time to live wide awake. Hey, it's Steph Dixon, and welcome to the Live Wide Awake podcast. This is a podcast about climate change and consciousness, sustainability, and spirituality. Each week, a special concoction for your listening pleasure so that you can lead your most conscious life. We're going to be talking about fascinating yet sometimes complicated topics and breaking them down into digestible chunks so that we can live wide awake. If you haven't already, do hit that subscribe button. And if you love what you're hearing, consider supporting us on Patreon. My guest today is quite the tipple. A dash of laughter, a splash of playfulness, a dollop of curiosity, and a whole lot of light. Yana Fry is a warm embrace that makes you feel enlightened just being in her presence. Now, one of the reasons that I'm so drawn to Yana and the work that she does is because she's on a mission to make spirituality simple and sexy and part of our everyday lives. She just makes sense, you know, and cuts through the noise. Aside from that, she's also a popular motivational speaker, accredited life coach, heart-centered mindfulness teacher, and so much more. But her magic really lies in activating minds and bodies to master emotions for their highest presence and performance. So get comfy because we are going to be diving into looking at all patterns and habits, how we can break free of them, understanding why people in our lives trigger us so much, but also finding out more about our relationships with money, as well as finding inner peace and abundance. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Jana, thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm so excited to see you as well after months of lockdown.
1: I know you're my first person today that I'm seeing after three months.
0: Can you imagine? I feel honoured. What a, what a beautiful reunion. <laughs> so Jana, we've known each other for over five years. And when I was thinking back um, of when we first actually met, I remember we didn't really like, like each other very much. There was... Not at all. <laughs> But there was something about you that even, you know, you had this kind of corporate high flare image going that you were giving off. Um, And I think it was the third or fourth time we met, actually, that I I actually saw your real authentic self through the cracks. Uh, And after that, I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot here. And I was super drawn to you and I really couldn't stay away. So I guess fast forward a few years, you've been on quite the adventure. And I really want to deep dive into some of that today. But before we do that, I think let's just talk about that idea of wearing a mask. You know, in life and, and these projections we think the world wants to see, or we think that we want the world to know about us and really, yeah, hiding who we truly are so, and kind of a bit more about your journey with this.
1: Wow. This is a great intro. I love, Steph. This is a great question also to start. The mask, I feel we all have it because we are conditioned by the society. You know, as long as we grew up in the society, and I will explain a bit later what I mean by this, you know, my personal spiritual journey. But for most of us, we stay in the society, we grew up here, we go to school, and then we start working, we create families here, and just all our social interactions with all these people, it kind of tells us we have to wear the mask. So I find COVID actually very symbolic. Like the whole world now is like, wow, we actually have been wearing the mask all the time. Now it just became physical. But, uh, you know, on the other way, we always had it. And now we can see this and we can also see how uncomfortable it is. Like now actually when people come home and they remove the masks, they, they breathe out. They're like, finally, you know, I can breathe. So in my experience, it's the same with what we have in our head. Because all other masks, they come from our head. And also in my own journey and what I have seen with other people, the moment we actually start removing those masks, it's exactly the same, this realization, this like, ah, you know, finally I can breathe, I can be myself, I don't have to pretend. Like when you said when we met, I was wearing this mask of a high flyer, corporate high flyer which is so not me. And uh, it took me years to accept that it is not me because then you get kind of carried away by the egoic trip, right? And everyone thinks and says that you have to be something. And I remember... That it was really a funny journey for me because I was trying to do this leadership coaching and executive coaching. And I was really like my ego told me that, you know, it just sounds cool. It makes more money. And somehow it's more respectable in the society rather than life coaching or spirituality. And for the entire time, I tried to do corporate coaching people would still refer to me as a life coach. So you can't run away from your true nature.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I just think it's wonderful that you've taken off all the layers of your mask and now you're bringing so much light into the world. So I'm always inspired by your journey and I guess by you coming home to yourself. So I'd love now for you to share a little bit about what that journey was like, what your spiritual, I guess, unearthing has been like and some of the highs and the lows and the learnings.
1: Yes. Wow, where do I begin? Well, I think a first great thank you goes to my mom because I am born in a very mystical family and my mom, she really contributed a lot to who I am. So I grew up relatively free, maybe kind of, you know, versus other children around. So she didn't, she tried not to impose much limitations. And in fact, we had this funny rule at home when there are no rules, like literally there was nothing specifically I had to do. There were no time I had to follow She never checked my homework. She never asked when I'm going to be back from the party. She never told me I can't hang out with these friends because it's bad company or something. So for her, she kind of from the very beginning was training me that use your own intuition. You know, trust yourself. If you think this is the right thing to do, do this. If not, even if everyone else does it around you, don't do this. So I had this upbringing, which I guess positioned me just in a bit more open-mindedness when I became an adult. But then the society kicks in. I mean, you can't run away from this. So I guess I went on the whole loop with with everything, trying to figure out professionally who I am, trying to figure out in the relationships where I stand and who I want to be with, several marriages, right? I mean divorce before, so all kinds of stuff. And then at the back kind of of all of that, I always had this yearning that I want to connect with myself. I want to connect with my soul and truly understand what it is. It is just Usually, for most of us people, unless life hits you really hard, you don't really go there. And I have seen it like over and over. Now, it doesn't have to be this way. Now, when I teach, I tell people, actually, you can stop earlier, do it yourself. And then there's a difference when you jump off the cliff or when someone pushes you off the cliff. So I waited until life kind of just knocked me off. And it landed me, it was back then, it was uh, a divorce and a death, actually, of my first husband, which landed me in a really bad kind of dark emotional and mental space. And I was very young. I mean, I was 27 years old. And it it forced me to look at myself and my life and to reconsider everything I think is true. And that was the, the turning point when I truly went on this spiritual journey, which has been now almost 10 years already just traveling all over the world and talking to all kinds of teachers and masters and gurus and priests and yogis and monks and you name it from all kinds of cultures and backgrounds and mystical schools in this quest for like, who are we? Why are we here? Right. So what is it all about? There must be some kind of purpose to life. So I went through different, different varieties and different schools and including Tantra, which is the whole journey of itself. You know, what people understand under Tantra in the society and what it actually is and isn't. And then uh, after a long journey, the life led me to Tibetan Buddhism. And this is where I found my own spiritual home. And it's kind of just made sense. You know, everything I have been studying before, it's like, it just, it comes together like a puzzle. It means that I'm not, I don't want to say that I I don't support a new age type of spirituality. You know, there are many new age schools that teach lots of things which are which are very beautiful but then i always look at why are you actually doing this right and i think you and i had this chat earlier and there's a big difference when uh, you wanna go for more power and more experiences which a lot of practices offer to people and uh, when you can when you want to go for freedom and liberation when you just kind of wanna be free from it all and be your own person and do your life work, and don't have those grasping things around you. And in my experience, those often are not the same pathos, and you kind of have to choose where you want to go. And so with kind of this very new age type of spirituality, um, it is just, it's important to be very centered and not fall into indulging or denying certain aspects of yourself. So that's kind of just important to remember. And so when I came to to Tibetan Buddhism, which was really interesting because as they say, when you're ready, teacher just shows up. So it literally happened. Like I met my teacher, Rinpoche, Karma Rinpoche, and uh, it was a common friend who introduced us. And the Rinpoche just flew in, you know, for teachings to Singapore, to give uh, teachings here. And so basically they just came to my home, like literally knocked on my door, which was really just amazing experience of itself. When you open and I'm like, oh, here is the Lama. This is wonderful. <laughs> when I spend years, you know, searching before for this kind of people, and uh, the biggest probably realization, you know, from now that I have been uh, with the school and I took refuge with the school and kind of I'm I'm like I know now where I guess I belong, um, like with my soul. The biggest realization was that spirituality and like all those practices, like I I, I mean. I know that monks and lamas don't use the word enlightenment easily. I mean, in the society, it's often like used too lightly, probably, right? For them, when they say it, they really mean it, actually. So, and when I had those conversations with my teacher uh, about like awakening, enlightenment, what it is, and spiritual practices, my biggest realization was that it is actually not about me. Can you imagine? And I don't know why it took me so many years to understand it. I was like, I want to be awakened. I want to be enlightened. You know, it's me. It's about myself. And then the Lama just said, look, you're like, you're like completely off. You really have to look at it from a different perspective. And the moment that landed in my mind and I truly realized that that's what made all the difference for my practice and my journey.
0: Yeah. Wow. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you for sharing. I think there's so much that I want to unpack there, but I think one of the things that I guess one of the biggest gifts that you gave me was really this idea of loving kindness. And I think this is kind of what you're alluding to here. If I'm jumping to the right conclusion yes. about <laughs> it not being about us and our awakening and our, you know, as you said, enlightenment, but actually this this bigger concept. So maybe you can also kind of unpack that. What is it really about then if it's not about us finding enlightenment?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. We, we were talking about uh, the loving kindness, the Batshichita, which is uh, the foundation practice in it, Tibetan Buddhism, and it kind of helps you to set the tone for everything. It took me a while to even understand what the is, because it, it's, such a, it's such a sophisticated, you know, deep and complex concept of itself that it just takes a while to figure out and, and grasp it. And so like in my understanding, we arrive into this uh, loving kindness when um, you dedicate your life and everything you do throughout your day and everything that arises in your mind, all the thoughts, to helping other people, pretty much, right? So in in all aspects of your life. So when you wake up in the morning, you don't actually think that, oh, what can I do for myself today, right? I mean, and you think more, what can I do for others today? And this is the biggest difference. And also... I have seen it with many people who try to do meditation or who try to go on the spiritual journey. And lamas often just, it's like this, like this, and inside the jokes, you know, when especially Westerners show up and try to learn from Tibetan lamas. And most of Western people who understand all these teachings, they would come and ask for the Dzogchen or like advanced um, tantric practices and meditation techniques. And Lamas would always laugh and say, look, I mean, until you develop the bodhicitta there is no way you can even understand what Dzogchen is. And this is what I also, again, I saw just uh, with meditators around that if you don't have this developed in your heart, this loving kindness itself, then when you go into meditation, it becomes uh, that another quest about myself, right? It's I want to go higher in my mind. I want to become peaceful, it's, it's, it's again about me, which just a substitute when your material ego gets substituted with the spiritual ego. But it's the same thing, maybe even more dangerous, because now you think that you are somehow better than other people because you're practicing meditation, right? Where the whole point is that you go into the meditation and you go into the practice and you are actually doing it so that you can become so free that you can help other people. And what I like about the kind of Tibetan school, how they teach, there are different. There are three stages to the meditation. There is like a preparation stage. There is the main part of the meditation, and there is the conclusion. And all of them are equally important. So, and conclusion is the one when you always say at the end of the practice that now all the merit you dedicate to sentient beings and you know, or to all other people in your life, or to everyone who is like you and who wants the same things that you do, right? So, and by that, we are training our mind to place this focus on the other, which helps to move away from this I ness that it's, it's not I am, it's not all about me, right? We, we are all in it together. We're like drops in the ocean. So, you are the drop and you are the ocean
0: at the same time. It, it sounds beautiful in practice. Um, it's not easy to actually implement not at all (laughs) i think i'm still learning okay so not at all (laughs) yeah and so i guess do you have any sort of practical tips i mean this is obviously my analytical side of the mind coming in to be like how do we actually start embodying this more uh and i think you know we did um a practice around manifestation and like not just manifesting for you but manifesting for everyone like you i mean that i found to be a very profound way of you know, having that bigger understanding of of the collective. Uh, but maybe there are some other things that you sort of learned through this that helps you to continue to come back to this concept of loving kindness.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, the one that's uh, very simple, but yet helps a lot, <laughs> is actually just to be aware of it and keep practicing all the time, keep coming back to this all the time, which requires like a great deal of just watching your own mind. And, you know, like I also ask these questions because I spent a lot of time with monks and lamas and it's very interesting. They teach very differently, not how in the society. They kind of give you the teaching and then you have to figure out yourself how to get there. So there is no, I mean, there is no how like in the Western world, right? We have this step-by-step process. They tell you just go practice and you will understand everything by yourself at the end. And the Western mind goes, really? but can you just tell me like step 1 step 2 step 3 they're like no just go practice and you will understand everything yourselves so i understand your question Yes,
0: but, I'm, I'm, you i know, have the western exactly, mind
1: but, uh, <laughs> and i guess now because i am like i am i am in both worlds at the same time so i'm trying to keep the essence of the teachings that, that the monks give and lamas give but also make it clearer, I guess, for people like us who are in the society, right? And so for me, also what I do for myself, because I am still, of course, practicing and I am like on this journey myself, I analyze my days or just my reactions, you know? So I train myself when to check in, what is my motivation? Like, for example, before I want to do something, I don't know, our interview today, right? So Stephanie reached out or, you know, we spoke about it. Let's do an interview, and I had to check with myself, uh, why Why am I doing it? Like, why am I actually agreeing to do this? Why am I spending my time to do this? Is it, you know, is it for myself? Do I want promotion? Do you want to, you know, to get known? Which is nothing wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong for people to want it, but it is just one way of looking at it, right? So, and then, or I want to do this because I want to help more people. I want to, you know, share the message. I I want other people to find home within themselves. So it's you just look at your motivation. And I would say, especially now, I'm I'm priming myself to be more and more mindful of it because there are more and more requests coming in. I actually screen it within myself first. Before I agree to anything to do with other people, I check in what is my personal motivation. And you know, if my motivation goes I want something for myself, then I question it. And I look, I'm like, Yana, really? I mean, there's nothing wrong again with this, but let's look at it. I mean, do you really want it? Why? And then I just, I kind of look within myself and I try to understand. And um, and usually I just don't agree to those things until I'm clear why I'm doing it. And then if it is like a first, you know, like when you ask about this interview, it is very clear for me that, yes, we're going to do this. Because Stephanie's on the mission, you know, and I would like to help more people. So we're definitely going to do this. It's very easy, very clear what they call like a full body yes to help others. So then you know that you are practicing, right? So that's kind of how you want to to look at it. And uh, and then just throughout the day, I also keep watching uh, just my reactions to people. So I, I'm constantly monitoring myself and I know that you probably want me to tell you like uh, 10 tips how to do this or 10 <laughs> steps, you know, to uh, to achieving clever and kindness, but it doesn't work like this. <laughs> so Eastern, you know, Eastern philosophies and mystical schools, they're a bit more, they're less logical often. I mean, there is, of course, structure to them and there is very like strong uh, logic and often even scientific scientifical background. But in practice, you just have to practice. And to practice here every day, you examine Your your decisions and you examine your thoughts. That's the practice, and then you get better over time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so it's it's basically a journey, and there's no quick fix or anything like that. We have to do the work. Sorry guys, we're listening. Yes, I know. It's like in one minute, tell me something is going to change my life.
1: It doesn't work like this in reality. (laughs)
0: But I actually think there's some comfort there to know that uh, it is a journey just like anything else in life. And that if, you know, we're committed to this, we're going to have the reward over the long term and it's going to be, you know, deeply altering the way that we show up. And I like the fact that it's a bit more of a journey and there's not a quick fix. It also helps people or people like me anyway to understand that it's okay that we're not going to get it overnight as well you know exactly. like that perfectionist side it's like it's cool you know there's like a little bit of release in the fact that it's a journey
1: <laughs> exactly you know otherwise we get trapped again and this like I am the meditator I want to be a perfect meditator I want to have nirvana by morning right it doesn't work like this yeah. and I feel it's also sometimes you practice and you practice you practice you know and then and then you kind of arrive in this place when you kind of feel, I'm actually good. You know, I'm at peace with myself. I'm at peace with people. I'm at peace with the world. And you walk through the day thinking, okay, I'm good. I got it. And then something happens. And the person shows up or yells at you or things that go the way you want. And you have this reaction again. And you go, where did my peace just go? You know, I was fine. So, which, again, if you look at it as the journey, then you can relax in this. You are always product in making. There's like never-ending process. And in fact, what I also learned from my teacher, as long as you have a physical body, you will have needs and cravings. So it's almost, I mean, I can't say it's impossible. Maybe it is possible if you renounce everything and you go and spend 20 years in the mountains or forest, and you you know, focus on the practice only, then maybe you can reach this level of a very, very high enlightenment while being in the physical body, right? And we know it about uh, Tibetan lamas when they kind of become this rainbow body, right? So it's, I mean, if you, if the the physicality starts changing, so to me, it means you completely transcended the concept of the like gravity and quantum physics, right? And everything. So I'm like, okay, this is like practice, practice. But for most of us people who live in the society and in our daily lives, you know, we, as long as we have our physical body, we have the cravings and we will have desires and we have certain aspects of ego, which is in, interesting topic for itself, because in the most spiritual practices that I have seen also in the society, people try to kill ego. And I'm not sure it's such a good idea if you live in the society. So otherwise, it's very, very difficult to function. And I have seen uh, cases of people who uh, um, would get really lost, you know, because of this.
0: Okay, good. I'm so glad you brought this up because this is definitely something I wanted to tackle with ego. Yes. Um, So there's a few things here. First of all, I feel like people talk about money being the enemy, but recently I've been reflecting and I actually think that ego is the enemy. And so I've actually purposely been trying to kill more of my ego or let go of it over the last year with all the spiritual practices and all the different things that I've been doing. I always think like I want to dissolve more of my ego because and when I think of it that way, I've thought about then letting that go and getting more to the state of peace and more, you know, in a state where I'm more, you know, surrendered in the sense and I'm not controlled by my ego. But you've just said that um, we don't like killing our ego isn't good in society. So now I'm like, whoa. <laughs>
1: Where do I stand with this, yes. right?
0: <laughs> and I just feel like also when you were talking about a full body, yes, versus ego kind of flaring up when you feel like you're in a state of peace and then someone comes and triggers you, right? And then the ego comes in and, and everything there as well. So, yeah, not really a question, but <laughs> like, how do I navigate through this now? And like what, you know, maybe you can unpack a bit more of the things that you were sharing. Yes,
1: you take a deep breath, you know? shut <laughs> up. And then one more deep breath and one more deep breath. So three breaths before you answer to this person. This is number one, (laughs) which helps to come back to yourself. And I'm not kidding. I really mean this. So I feel that. And then you examine again within yourself, why did you get triggered? So I feel that if people actually would constantly look at themselves, we would not have any conflict with each other because we have a conflict when when we feel that someone is not meeting our needs, when someone is not doing what we want them to do for us, right? So or when someone is not saying what we want them to say to us, because we have some kind of idea of how it should be. And that's kind of beautifully comes uh, together with loving kindness and but again, right? Because then when you, when you, when you do this practice, when you focus on arising rising but he within yourself, within your heart, when you focus on the loving kindness, then. You also start examining your own desires to be acknowledged, to be recognized, to be seen, even to be loved by others, which brings you in a very interesting place where whatever people tell you, whether they say I love you or I hate you, it actually becomes the same for you because you are at peace within yourself. right? And I know that, again, in the society where maybe it's a little bit a far-stretched concept for people who live here, I fully you know, understand this. But I also find through my own personal journey and just seeing, you know, other like teachers and meditators around me, I feel it's a wonderful inspiration to have for all of us that when you're in a relationship, if you can really arrive in this place, when regardless of what your husband or wife or girlfriend or boyfriend do, right, so that you are actually at peace, then I feel that that, that gives you so much space in the relationship that there are no more conflicts. Like, I know it's even like in my own, uh, like in my own life uh, with my own husband, we have been together now, I don't know, for, I think for 11 years, probably. And I don't even, like, honestly, I don't even remember last time when we had the conflict about anything. It has been, I think, at least three, four, maybe five years we were fighting about something because that that's, that's we kind of arrived into this naturally, layer where you just look at the bigger picture. When something comes up and then we both go, really? I mean, it's so insignificant when you look like at the life itself then there's really no point fighting about it. And uh, so I feel like when we do that, then people start triggering us less. Having said it, of course, I mean, I myself still, people do trigger often. And when that happens, then um, I just look within myself. And I take those breaths and I try not to respond right away. And I know that sometimes it is more challenging because we have these emotions that come up, right? It's like a wave of anger, or desire or jealousy, or you know or pride or something just comes over your body. It's literally like a wave that's coming. And um, one of my other teachers, not not the monk, but it was a beautiful, you know amazing, amazing teacher blair singer uh, with whom I used to study a long time ago. He said one day that during the trainings that you know when two people meet, two intelligent people meet. And then the emotions go up, the intelligence goes down. And now you have two stupid people talking to each other. So, and I always remember that, that I just try not to answer when I'm emotional. Like you just kind of give it space. You go for a walk, go for a swim, go do yoga, you know, do some journaling, uh, do breathing exercise, whatever works for you. But calm down and then go back and talk to this person about the same subject. When you are more kind of in a stable emotional place, that's kind of about the the emotions.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> very, very helpful. And I love that uh, that last part and just, you know, don't answer when you're emotional. I think that's don't. it's so simple, but it, it can be hard to do, obviously. But I think yeah, having that awareness and cultivating that as a practice is definitely something that will help. And so I guess coming back to this kind of idea of then the you ego, know, the right? Ego the ego and, and the like, money, yes. yes. And killing <laughs> killing the ego or not killing the ego and and you know, how to use it maybe more as a tool. I'm not sure. So yeah. yeah.
1: Stephanie, great question. And I know I myself has been fascinating with this for many years. And I know it's it's a probably primarily question people usually ask when they're on the search, what to do with, with ego, right? Because again, if we look around, there are a lot of just information, you have to kill it, you have to dissolve it completely, let it go. In my experience in reality, it is not that straightforward. And I can explain why. I mean, first, and it's also not just my interpretation. I heard it from lamas and monks and rinpoches. you know, that if you look at the books that most of the people follow, like let's say if you look at the traditional ancient books about spirituality and spiritual journey and meditation, then most of the classical books have been written by masters that have not been living in the society, right? So it would be monks and nuns, yogis and yoginis and all kinds of other teachers who would either stay in the monastery or ashram or, or mountains or forests or anything else, but not in the society. That's the whole point. And then they would go into their retreats 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and then arrive into those beautiful you know, states. And then somehow it was documented by their students. Because also what I learned and I have heard from many teachers, a truly enlightened master actually cannot write a book. It is not possible. So you kind of write books before you get there, or when you when you are there, your students write it for you. But the truly enlightened master does not do this. And if we look again at most of the like really well-known like I know, like Osha, you know, like from from the old days, right? there are all kind of other names we could we could think about. But then it's mainly the a transcript of their teachings. They didn't actually write those books. Students just wrote it for them, and then it became like a mass, you know, available information, right? So, so when those teachers were introducing those concepts about let's kill the ego and let's dissolve the ego completely, it is applicable when you renounce everything and you fully commit your life to the praxis. And this is a choice. It is a path, and it is f- not for many. I mean, realistically, right? It's it, it's it's a it's a very rare calling when a person would have it genuinely. I mean, not because you are trying to. Run away from your problems, it's like the whole other topic about spiritual escapism, right <laughs> Not about this, but when you actually do this because in your heart, you want to help other people. So it's very rare when that happens. And I feel only when that happens, when this is your motivation, when when you when you renounce everything, when you fully commit to the past, then yes, then completely dissolving ego becomes a big part of your practice. And I know very few people that I have met personally who are genuinely on this path, like really few, like maybe one, two, maybe three maximum, you know. So they're really committed to this and they're integrating this into their daily life and just witnessing them on this path. I can tell you it is very difficult. I mean, it, it's, it's really not easy because then you also have to make a choice. Do you want to stay like in the monastery, ashram or mountains, or you want to go back in the society and still practice? And if you're in the society and you follow this path, then you come to these very practical things, like how do you buy your food, right? I mean, in the old days, monks used to go and ask for, you know, donations and people would give food. It doesn't really happen anymore. I mean, right now. So the society moved on and it just makes for the practitioner much more difficult to, to do this in the current society. So that's why when I was even uh, like having these conversations with lamas and, you know, and my teacher, you know, he was also saying that, look, You stay here, you live in the society, you have to focus on what you need to focus. And the point is that if you try to completely kill your ego, you cannot do anything socially. Like you can't really build a business. It is very difficult to make money, right? It's very difficult to put yourself uh, like in front on stages because why would you do this? And then... If you're staying here, then you're kind of not fulfilling your purpose. Do you see the difference? Right. So if you leave everything behind and you dissolve your ego, you're fulfilling your purpose. But if you want to stay in the society and you want to fulfill your purpose, you need to have a healthy element of ego to still be interested in business and money and, you know, some kind of element of publicity, I guess, right? That interaction with people. Because otherwise, you also don't want to see anyone else if you like really go into your practice. So those are very different passes. And I feel that for people like us, again, who are in the society, it's not about killing ego and it's not about boosting ego. It's about the golden middle. You have to find what is the healthy ego for yourself. And it means, and this is again, which comes with this um, loving kindness, but he cheated practice. So the way how we do this, you examine your intentions, right? And when there are all those opportunities that come in, you know, opportunity to make money, Opportunity maybe to open a business or get a job, right? Or maybe opportunity to be invited, like also for the interview or speak on stages somewhere. You check in with yourself, why am I doing this? And then if you do this because you want to share your message and you genuinely want to help people, then God bless your ego, go do this. <laughs> it's very important because then you still have to show up on stage and and, and do the whatever you need to do, right? So it's just where where the intention is. So you have to be very careful. It's not don't kill it completely, Steph. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, that was really helpful. I I I do have a deeper understanding now, and I think I get it. So I think that kind of leads me to the other thing that I, re- or topic I really wanted to discuss today, and that's this idea of the science of control and the art of surrender, mm. because this is something I battle with. All the time because I am a control freak. And I think, you know, I, I try to hold on to things to, to feel in that sense of control and with the anxiety and, you know, being like a perfectionist and everything. But when you surrender and when I do get in the flow of surrender, it's like a whole different type of control and relax and letting go and being much more in flow with life. But I can't maintain it very long. Uh, And I always find, you know, things come up, stress comes up or, you know, I forget my practices and then I am wound back up again in my like control state. So I'd love to understand a little bit more about, you know, your ideology around these two concepts.
1: Yes. Beautiful, beautiful question. Yes, it's actually very simple. Everything what is inside of you, you can control. Everything what is outside of you, you cannot. You have to surrender. You know, it's it's that simple. And I feel when uh, when people truly embrace this, then life becomes much easier. Now, I know it is easier said than actually done. Because we, the opposite, we try to control the external environment and we don't have much control over ourselves. So it's actually exactly the opposite. And uh, that's why we do meditation. And when you said that it it works for a while and then it kind of, kind of blows up again, right? So this is where meditation helps. That's why we do this because then the purpose of meditation actually is to train your mind to be focused on what you want it to be focused instead of just running all over, you know, around. And if you do this, I think scientists say even 10 minutes a day meditation of any kind, you can choose anything. There are so many these days. So if you do that, then consistently, then over time, it is just you become more stable in your mind. You're not that easily kind of taken off balance anymore. And then when, when something happens externally again, this, this uh, impulsive reaction that most of us people have when we kind of react before thinking. Right? There is this difference between responding and reacting. So again, when when something happens, we want to take a deep breath and pause our reactions and respond instead to this. And uh, that requires that requires this practice and meditative mind. But then again, the um, the understanding here is that and it maybe just takes time to even accept it and remind yourself this over and over and over again. Everything that is outside of you, you cannot control. Like there's no way. And the sooner like a person arrives into this understanding, the easier life becomes. Usually people try to grasp and hold. And I know it, it. it's not easier because it also means that you can't control, you can't really control circumstances. You can't control people come and go in your life. You You don't have much control over the relationship, how it unfolds. You know, you don't have much control over the money, right? It kind of comes and goes. There are all kinds of things that come and go. But then the the true peace within yourself, which I know you definitely want, because we definitely. talked
0: about it. <laughs> we
1: talked about it. Yes. There is no shortcut. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But if you're if you're just waiting for me to tell you, Stephanie, do this for three minutes, and in thirty days from now it's gonna be, you know, you're gonna be super tranquil. It doesn't work like this again. There's no shortcut. The only way is to fully arrive into this deep understanding within yourself when you stop grasping and when something just happens around you, comes and goes, and you're not trying to, you know, uh, I'm not talking about you specifically about all of us, right? So we're not trying to like desperately hold on to this or try to make it work the way how you would like it to be. But instead, you just go back within yourself and you check within yourself and you work on your own emotions. And your own state of peace and your own mind regardless of what is happening around you so this is actually the practice itself and then the better you become at it and it takes practice to become better at it then it becomes easier and then this um what you were saying the i think it's during the the m5 program we came up with this was your question right the the, the art of control no we said the. The The science science of of control control and the art art of surrender, surrender. yes, (laughs) that just came when you were asking a question, I remember, yes. So you just become more masterful at it because then it is much easier to surrender to things.
0: I don't know how helpful it is, but this is the truth. <laughs> it's good. It's good to have the truth and to know that it's an ongoing practice and, you know, coming back to that idea of a journey. But I think I've learned so much during this conversation, as always, when I'm around you. So thank you so much for bringing all your light into the world and, and really for making some of these very complicated topics more simple, I think. Yeah. And just giving that that deeper understanding. It's yeah, amazing.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Steph.
0: Wow, what an episode. I am completely (laughs) in awe of this woman. I think that was just uh, so helpful for me. I hope it was helpful for you as well. I think the three things, the biggest things that I'm taking away from our conversation was to really question and examine our intentions. You know, asking myself, what is my personal motivation? Why am I doing this? And just, I guess, the comfort in the fact that The journey to inner peace is a lifelong one, and it's going to be something that we're going to continue to work on. So there's no need to put pressure on the learnings um, at this stage. And I think, yeah, the best thing I'm taking is really just, you know, question ourselves, examine, and really looking forward to learning to find home within myself. I hope that today's conversation stirred something deep within you ready to awaken. If you enjoyed today's episode, do hit that subscribe button and consider supporting us. Until next time, live wide awake.